the first question you always get is, "What are you going to pay me? What per, you know? What percent of UPA?" Yeah. You know. Well, if you yeah. you know, it depends on what you if you sold it to a lousy borrower at a low yeah. rate on yep. the long term. What do you think you're going to get? Yeah. Right. But if you want to know, it's like, well, how do I write it if I want ninety five cents on the dollar? It's like, <laughs> uh, so you yeah. Know, there's a way to learn from all these people. I do want yes. to say there's a lot of good stuff on yeah. social media. But there's a lot of stuff that's not accurate either. Yes. So back to my um, trust but verify. You know, make sure you're getting advice from somebody that knows what they're doing and not just some hot sports opinion in some Facebook chat. As always, subscribe and click the notification bell on our YouTube channel. Be active on our Facebook group, East Coast Distressed Note Investing. And be sure to go to our website for all your note investing tools, resources, and available assets. If you have any questions, email us at tradedesk at jkpholdings.com. Good afternoon. Dave Putz here from JKP Holdings. Alongside me, as always, Mr. Nathan Turner. What's up? <laughs> Good. Oh, We're chatting so much. We almost I, chatted right yeah. into our intro here. <laughs> yes. Uh, good conversation though. It's always fun. Um, but yeah, we are like, oh crap, oh crap. So I'm glad I came back to here with you guys. Uh, for those who are watching, tuning in, hopefully it's not your first time, but this will be recorded. It's probably our most asked question to get. So we've been doing a lot of things lately and kind of shifting gears. We're just talking to Bob, uh, if you call it the green room, whatever you want to call it, about how the market's shifting and how that we just saw the fact that some non-performing loans in the Fannie level were trading at upper 90% of percent of UPB. That's crazy. I mean, but yeah. they must have really cheap money or some game plan that you and I uh, aren't playing yet. Yeah, we're sitting here trying to figure out. So just trying to run some rough numbers based on what we know. How does that work? Like, even if your money's at 2%, Margins are slim, but if you're talking hundreds of millions, maybe that makes it worth it. <laughs> and the mortgages are three, four, five percent. Yeah. You know, interest rates that to get a 10% return, you're discounting a lot. These guys are buying it almost a par. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy. So I apologize for over speaking some people, just finishing the conversation up, and hopefully those who are tuning in can understand the stuff. So what we've been doing a lot lately in the last 2023 has been a mission to understand the seller finance world. Um, and also understand where notes are at, wrap notes, subject twos, owner financing, and, and just embed ourselves in those kind of those groups. Um, and we just reconnected or connected with another group this past week, had an awesome phone call um, with another group that does similar stuff. So stay tuned. We'll be hitting about a bunch of that stuff up. Um, and in the coming weeks, we'll also have uh, some reverse mortgage talk um, and some more people who've done from W2 to owner financing. So it's be exciting. Yeah, it's really cool. It, and it's, it speaks to kind of the variety within this niche. Yes. So we've got, we've got mortgage notes as kind of the umbrella. And then you're talking about reverse mortgages, seller finance, uh, performing, non-performing seconds, you know, institutional versus seller finance, creative finance wraps, you know, there, there's so many different directions that this business goes that it makes it really fun and really interesting all the time. It also makes it really possible to be able to pivot yes. at any given time. 
if, if we were, I mean, we were doing non-performing for years uh, and now the pricing has just gotten so yeah. out of whack that it's hard for us to justify that direction. We're now seller finance uh, performing notes become a much more attractive asset class. Yeah. And it's funny because we talk about this a lot. I think people get a little confused because I still heard today someone mentioned, you know, buying an ROI. Everything's really based on buying on that interest rate, right? That's the driving force behind all of this. It's really difficult for us to buy um, on a low interest rate situation. Uh, if you're originating a loan and you're listening to us, please don't write it 6%, right? If you can, if the borrower is able to do it. Again, if it's owner-occupant only, if it's an investor, you can write whatever you want to write at. Um, but to, for us to buy it, uh, it has to be a, a large enough interest rate or we're going to discount you based on the return we're looking for. So. And it's still a question we get all the time, like just on this call this week, these are yep. guys that have been doing this for a number of years. They're not brand new to this business, yep. but the question we get is what percentage of UPV? Yes. Well, it depends. What is your interest rate? And that, both of us, that was our first question back to him. Well, what's the interest rate? And that's the number one determining factor on what that discount's going to be. So write it at a high interest rate, you've got yes. a, a smaller discount and we can do a ton of business. Yeah. And I think people get lost in that because they think other ways. And I don't know what the focus is on that is um, because it goes back to, oh, percentage UPB. It doesn't matter. ROI doesn't count. It's yield IRR kind of equations. Yeah. And that's what we talked about. If the big pools are selling, they sell at a percentage UPB um, because it's an easy number to use, but they're really looking at the interest rate and seeing what the return is because your interest rate's your return, Right. And you have to discount the principal enough on low interest rates to get the interest back up, the return back up. If your interest rate's real low, you're going to have to drop your discount on the balance alone to get that return. So yeah, we're always looking at yields. So yes. learn how to use the financial calculator. Use yes. Dave's wacky spreadsheet. But learn how it works. <laughs> yeah. You so got to you know use something. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a question about that, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, Nathan used the manual calculator. We have some spreadsheet stuff, but either way you're doing it, make sure you understand what those numbers mean, how to use them, um, and, and and what they mean, how they, how they interact with each other. That's a huge thing, right? Um, and it's funny, you know, we got in the space decade plus ago, we were focused on bank loans. Um, and we still, you know, we bought bank loans uh, up to the most recent days, and we've shifted over to the seller finance where the grandfathers of this, you know, this investment strategy bought seller finance notes, flipped over to bank and then flipped back, right? That's what they did for years. They focused on buying seller finance paper. It's yeah. Amazing. And we're lucky enough to have one of the legends in the business. Bob's been around uh, forever and ever. Well, I don't want to make him seem too old. <laughs> we'll get him on here he can tell us all yeah Bob, welcome man how are you i'm good guys appreciate you having me and uh nathan yeah. you caught yourself just in time about <laughs> been around forever and so long and you know the grandfather and you know, <laughs> uh, yeah so bob for the few people who are tuning in maybe there are 72 people who have been tuning in to us who are you How'd you get into real estate and notes um, and keep it under four hours? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, if I went through every year, it would take four hours. But uh, 
Actually, my very first job out of college was consumer finance. So everybody should have to be a, a debt collector at some point in life. I always say you should be a debt collector and work in a fast food restaurant. As long as you've done those two things in your life, you'll appreciate whatever other job you end up getting. Um, so that started off in the real estate. And then I was in the banking world. 1990, I entered the uh, seller finance space, as you mentioned. I went to work for uh, Metropolitan Mortgage out of Spokane, Washington at the time. They were the, the big dog in town and worked with them. And 1997, we moved to Dallas to work at the Associates, which was, again, another big firm. And then in 2001, I went to work for Bayview. And a lot of folks probably have heard of Bayview, and I worked with them for 12 years. And uh, then I came over uh, with uh, Colonial Funding Group and Eddie Speed, and we started our capital fund um, in 2013. And we, like you wow. said, we've been in the seller finance space for over 30 years. We have bought bank paper. We bought deals from hedge funds. and um, But our true core is still seller financing. Has seller finance changed over the years, or is it just evolving? What have you seen? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know that it's really changed a whole lot other than um, to your point a minute ago about a lot more sub twos and wraps. Um, you know, we'll we'll say, quote unquote, professional seller financers as opposed to just mom and pops. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, back when I started in 1990, it was, you know, you would find somebody who had one property and sold it and have one note, you know, and that was it. And um, obviously, it was much more important to find folks that were generating multiple notes. So you had, you know, lower marketing costs. So, you know, you find somebody who would buy property, fix it up, do some rehab, build a portfolio of that type of property, um, and then buy in bulk. So, um, but it, it's crazy. You know, we were talking before we jumped on about interest rates and cost of funds and stuff. And, um, it, you know, interest rates now are pushing 8%. We still see somebody do a seller finance note at six. I'm like, yeah. why are you doing it less than the bank will do it? Just, you know, it's, that's yeah. not the thing. So um, it, it's always been a, a really good access to private capital for folks that either don't want to or can't get bank or traditional financing. I remember back in my university days, I took business and uh, we were talking about pricing. Uh, about you know pricing whatever goods you've got or whatever and and the the line that stuck out and uh, kind of became sort of a legendary quote was don't try to compete with Walmart you're never yeah. going to undercut Walmart and and we're seeing people doing that now where they're trying to compete with Walmart with the banks like no 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 the banks are offering what they're offering you've got a premium product uh, yes. so charge more yeah so when you've gone through this process of buying it, what are kind of some of the stumbles that maybe people who are watching, who are creating it, who've been in the space maybe a year or two, that you've seen that you say, don't do this kind of stuff with originating notes? Don't go after the broken, desperate person to be your borrower, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there are a lot of, and we refer to them, you know, on the note school side as like penalty box buyers. In other words, they, there's nothing wrong with them, but the credit availability right now is so tight in the underwriting and the rates are higher. People can't qualify. There's, you know, there's well-deserving borrowers out there that can be homeowners. You don't have to chase somebody with a low down payment that can barely afford to make their monthly payment. You don't have to market to those people. So if you're creating notes, find good quality borrowers 
you know, to your point earlier, if you're if you're creating a note to sell it, right? You want to find a good borrower and you want to write it at the right terms so you can minimize your discount, right? Yep. And you know, you guys were talking about percent of UPV and you know, it's all about the yield. I do want to just you know, differ a little bit on that because there is some opportunities, especially in the reperforming space where you got a low rate and a long term. And sure. you know, all right, well, all of a sudden you're going to get a, a huge discount. Mm -hmm. So you got to balance discount with yields. We'll buy below our, our yield requirements at times if we know we're buying a big enough deal and we got like an 80, 90, $100,000 discount. That loan pays off in five, six, seven years, your yield's going to jack up anyway. So we always try to balance that discount in there, which really comes into effect on, you know, deals over 150, 200,000. All of a sudden, then you, you know, you've got a good size discount, even if you're buying at a high single digit yield. Yeah. Yeah. Because most time people don't go 30 years, right? You have a exit in 10 years, your yield just goes through the roof. You're absolutely right there. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Um, so, Note school, right? This is something we've all heard about. Um, I think Nathan, you went through it years ago. Tell I us did. a little about for those who are familiar with it. What is note school? Well, let me let me set back just a little bit. When I first started in 1990, I met Eddie Speed when I was working at Metropolitan Mortgage, and um, Eddie was you know a, lo a loan trader. He was a broker. He would buy for his own portfolio, and he would sell it to institutional investors like Metropolitan and then Associates. When I moved here to Texas, his office was pretty much right down the street. Uh, so I got to know Eddie real well. And, and um, you know, he developed all kinds of seller finance programs for companies like Homevestors, how to create notes that institutional investors like Bayview would buy. Mm -hmm. um, and from that, he created No School as an educational piece, initially to teach people how to find notes so they would send it to him so he would have a continuous marketing source, right? And they can make fee income and so forth. And that's sure. grown to an educational platform where mainly um, somebody who, let's say, has a corporate job, maybe they're looking to exit that and they have money in their 401k or in their self-directed IRA and they're looking for a retirement, they're looking to invest in passive income. Um, and it's evolved over the years to create a financing and MPLs and that kind of stuff. But it's basically how to, you know, build up a passive investment portfolio and um no school's probably been around 20 years now so um that was that was eddie's baby when it started and he still promotes that and and does three-day classes and um teaches a lot of people across the country how to buy um assets and partials and so forth let me tell you a real quick story on partials yeah um so when eddie first started he worked for um his wife martha's dad um, and and his business partner in Mississippi, and they were buying and selling notes. Well, they were selling notes to a finance company down there, and they would go to the company, and it would be a 30-year note, and the company would say, um, we can't buy that note because our machine, it was before computers or however they tracked it, would only go 15 years. So they were like, okay, well, we'll just say part of the note then. And that's yeah. really how the whole partial thing, they, wow. they would buy the whole note and only sell part of it because the the uh, Finance America couldn't figure out how to amortize something more than 180 months. So, <laughs> you know, and now all of a sudden, you know, you guys yeah. are morphed into partials and yeah, that's a great way to 
you know, to your point on some of the lower rate stuff to hide the discount is, you know, you got a 6% 30-year note. Well, all right, well, I'll buy the next 10 years and it'll revert back to you after that. And, you know, it's yeah, it's win-win. They get capital back and you get a good cash flow for a period of time. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, so, it was the very first class I took back in 2009. Wow. I was looking up, we were creating notes. I didn't even know that's what they were called. And we were looking for an outlet looking for some way to resell these, some way to capitalize that my thinking was you can sell a turnkey rental. Surely you can do that with what we're doing, whatever it is that's called. <laughs> so I found Eddie online somewhere and went down and took his class and, and blew my mind. You know, all of a sudden I started realizing this is a bigger thing. Went to uh, later that year, went to uh, Noteworthy down in New Orleans and uh, again, blew my mind as Eddie was there again. And, and just, there's 200 people all talking about what I was doing. And that was kind of that introduction. Oh, wow. This is really a thing. So when you, you had mentioned earlier about yeah. all the different niches in the, in the note space, you know, yeah. and um, the ability to pivot, and, you yeah. know, I think that's key. And that's one of the, um, the themes that we're going to have at Note Expo this year is just in the ever-changing market, you know, are you ready to pivot? Um, the only, you know, my only word of caution on that is there's a difference between being prepared to pivot and then just being uh, chasing uh, shiny objects. Mm. Right? So sometimes you got to stay focused on what's working in the market right now and and not dabble too much in 18 different things. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, when the lead comes to your desk, you need to know, am I going to flip this loan and make a fee? Am I going to buy a partial on it? Am I going to, you know, you've yeah. got to be able to do something because we're all spending money on marketing, yeah. whether we're doing something like this and talking yeah. about business and, hey, send me deals or yeah. if you're looking to buy, let me know or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so I would say be ready to pivot, but also stay focused on, you know what your core business is. And in our case, it's always been seller finance. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you guys buying wraps at all? Are you guys getting into that space buying wraps? We've, you know, we've talked about a lot. It's definitely a hot market for the creators, but wrap notes don't seem to be fitting in well with the note buyer. If we can't pay off the underlying lien. Yeah. Well, if you don't pay off the underlying lien, you're technically in second position, right? So yeah. that limits the investor pool. Yeah people that are comfortable doing that we yeah. buy wraps but most of the time we do require to pay off the underlying debt because we yeah. do want to be first lien position Absolutely. unless there's just such crazy you know equity or we love the property or you know sure it's an outlier but our basic stance is yeah. you know hey you bought a house for this you wrapped it you know we'll buy that note you'll make you know whatever we pay off you'll make that spread and you know, get yeah. your capital back and go do your next deal. So we usually require the underline to be paid off. So Node Expo, I believe, was one of the first conferences I went to. Um, and I believe, weirdly enough, I think you were one of the first people I met. Uh, you probably didn't realize it. I was sitting with a buddy of mine and he introduced us. And one thing I want to make sure people realize is these Node conferences who are very nervous about going we, me and Ethan talked a lot of people before his last year, and we we heard from those people who listened to us and talked to us that their nervousness was a 10 for some of them. Once they got there, it dropped from a 10 to a zero. Talk a little bit about how no conferences, for those who may be new or just getting into it, is not as a stuffy atmosphere 
as some may think. It's not at all intimidating, but go ahead, Bob. Yeah, no, and, and we try to make that environment so that it's not, right? I mean, if the only conference you ever went to was like an NBA conference or something, then, you know, that's, you got your suit on and you're meeting with a bunch of bankers and I can tell how, you know, there's 2,000 people there and you might feel a little intimidated. But we started Node Expo. This actually be our 10th annual Node Expo. Wow. And uh, we wanted to create an environment where not only do we have quality content, you know, whether it's general sessions, panel discussions, whatever, um, but we have a community where you can connect with people, whether it's new or reconnect, you know, like um, I may only get to see you guys a couple of times a year and it's usually at a conference, right? Yep. I mean, uh, you know, I, I used to see Nathan all the time at an IMN conference. And then yep. when he took over DME, I was at DME and he's been to Node Expo and, you know, but honestly, I don't make my way to Western Canada very often. So I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't get to see them. And um, yeah. you know, so it's always a way to connect and reconnect. And also to that point, we have about 25 to 30 exhibitors. So you get to see yeah. all the vendors that you deal with, right? And and if you're new to the business, it gives you an opportunity to um, vet them in person. You can meet with different loan servicers, see what's a fit, different IRA companies, different BPO agents, whatever. So just that. And, um, you know, we've grown over the years. I think it's a, it's a solid product when people come there to your point, Dave, it's yeah. not like they feel like, Oh my God, what have I got myself into? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, if you want to sit there and listen to everybody on stage all the time, you can do that. If you want to work your way through the exhibit hall all day and have meetings out in the lobby and, you know, just connect with folks, you can do that too. So it's a, it's a pretty good environment. And, um, I would not say it's intimidating at all, and I hope nobody feels that way. Could you give a little snapshot of what some of the topics, so the people who are looking or curious about going, maybe in tune for, or some things they can expect? Yeah, I mean, it's stuff we've been talking about. We've got some creative finance presentations. We've got some uh, topics on wraps. We've actually got some panels on distressed debt, raising capital, um, so how to use self-directed IRA funds um, in all those spaces, you know, yep. do you buy an MPL in your self-directed IRA? You know, there's people say absolutely not. There's people that say, yes, you can, if you do it correctly and you know what you're doing and things like that. So we've got some topics on that. Um, and we also talk a lot um, really just about the mindset of, you know, we're all entrepreneurs in this no space, right? We got, you get up, you know, whether you go to an office like we have or whether you work out of your house, um, sometimes, you know, you're dealing with people you've never met, whether it's yeah. a seller, whether it's your loan servicer. And you got to have that right mindset because it can get frustrating. And, you know, uh, so sometimes we use it as a uh, a reset button, you know, get, you know, it's your pep rally once a year, come to the Node Expo and kind of get rejuvenated. And um, so we do a little bit of, the, you know, get out of your head and start, you know, pull the trigger on some deals. Some people want to do deals and all they really do is window shop, right? They look at deals, but they haven't bought one yet. And they just need to get over that fear of, you know, sure. that first step. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have, uh, I'm not sure if Nathan saw it. Steve Thomas made a comment that if, if you're in the note business and you haven't been to a note expo, then you're not in the note business. Well, uh, well I said. I appreciate that, Steve. 
Yeah. So it, it's great to hear this stuff. And we collaborate all the time, right? Most people say, well, aren't you competing? We all are, right? But at the same time, we're all learning from each other. This space is different from most real estate where the collaboration is really, really important and very, very helpful. So, you know, let's back up here. I put it in the chat here too. Node Expo is the third and fourth uh, of of next month. And it's it's in Dallas, right? Yeah. Um it's at a conference, it's in a hotel set up, and it's, the exhibits are outside, the conference inside, and they have speakers for two full days. So I would encourage you, if you're local to it, you have no excuse not to be there. Um, and if you are a little bit uh, a distance, I was bringing up this morning that it looks like I will be attending this year. So I'm looking forward to making sure you guys all get there. Nathan's flying in from Canada to go there. And it's it's about the networking Right. This is what the space is all about is networking, finding how we can help each other and collaborate. As Bob said before, if a deal doesn't fit you, but you have a collaboration partner that does fit them, you pass it on them, they're going to pass you a deal back. So you make sure you can network for that availability. You have all these tools in your toolbox uh, yeah, available. If, if there is a secret sauce to this business, so at number one, you have to get educated. And whether that's through Node School or somewhere else, but make sure you know what you're doing because this is not real estate it's only related that's all yes so make sure you get some uh, some education next though the real secret sauce to this business is conferences yep. I, I started going in 2009 that was my first and i've i go to several conferences a year i'll go to three or four or five whatever is out there uh mine or somebody else's because it's so important to network it is so important to talk to your vendors and just have that face-to-face -face conversation. Let them take care sure. of your dinner, and, yeah. and you know, and have real conversations about nothing to do with business, yeah. and also to do with business. And yeah. you do all kinds of stuff with people that you have met and have be, you know become friends with. And then when you I, get through the stage like me that have been around forever, as Nathan said at the top, <laughs> then you're you're fortunate enough to do business. I'm at a point now, honestly, I only do business with people I like to do business with. Yeah. yeah. Life's too short. I, yep. You know, I have a life too short bucket. It's either, you know, the person I'm dealing with or a deal when it comes across. Oh, yeah, you might be able to make some money on it, but is it really worth all the hassle to do it? I just pass on it. Mm -hmm. But Dave, to your point about competitors, I always look at everybody as a counterparty as opposed mm. to a competitor. Because like you said, I'm going to have something and it may not fit what I do. But yeah. if I can pass it along to somebody or, um, you know, a lot of people, oh, I'm only comfortable because they came from a real estate background, investing in my in my neck of the woods, so to speak. Sure. Well, in this in an environment like Node Expo, you're able to network and have boots on the ground in other areas, right? Yeah. Oh, huge. I met this guy and he's he lives in Michigan. He can help me out with that Detroit deal or that Kansas yep. City deal or whatever. And I mean, if I ever get a note in Western Canada, I know who to call. Right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm yeah. looking, Nathan, I'm looking, but I haven't got one yet. But uh, you can find out what people's, you know, what their buy box is, yeah. what they like. You know, you may have some loans and you need some capital. You may find somebody looking to buy a partial. You yeah. know, maybe they got a grandkid and they have a small IRA they need to build. So you sell them a small partial in that. So mm -hmm. um, one thing we really like is all our, breaks, lunches, and happy hours are all right in the exhibit hall, mm -hmm. right? You and you sit there, you meet the vendors. We set up, I think, tables of 10 so that, you know, 
you get to have lunch with people you know or some new folks. So yeah, you know, not to be a dead horse, but it is all about networking. Yeah. Yeah. And I encourage people, don't necessarily sit with people you know. Yes. Go ahead and sit somewhere where you don't know anybody. And it's really easy. I know it's really intimidated, but it's really easy. You just go down and you know, you find this table and there's one spot and you say, Hey, is this seat taken? Yes. That's all it takes. Yes. That's all it takes. Yeah. It's really easy. Yeah. Uh, and, and you'll find especially I've found in the note world, people are extremely friendly um, yeah. and they're willing to share all kinds of information and, and knowledge with you. So. And I challenge you though, if you're going to these experts too, besides talk to someone you don't know, it's follow up with the connection you do make. I can't tell you how many people go to the conferences, exchange business cards, and never follow up. Yeah. You know, I give in my cards to all the people and I don't get an email and I'm shocked. I encourage you guys, this is the keys to this business. You gotta network, you gotta talk to people. If they're a BPO agent or they live in you know Michigan or wherever, just having their business card on file and reaching out to them and saying, Hey, it was good talking to you means a lot, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so, it, it, the world has changed to some degrees as far as people not having business cards a lot of times. Uh, and, and it does make it difficult. And that's one of the reasons why conferences like ours and, and Nathan's have come up with, you know, the, uh, the app on the phone where you yeah. can, you can connect with people on the app. You can, yeah. you know, connect with people after the event via the app still. You should do it. After people information. So don't get all freaked out. If you don't have a business card or whatever, you still got to use the app. And, um, but connect with people to the app, right? Don't just use the habit. Make sure you follow up with them. Talk to them afterwards. That app is not only active at the conference. It's also active afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Bob. And before, so you can set up meetings or whatever. That's true. Yeah. Extremely helpful. So we're going to get into a little nitty gritty here. What is your thought process of the market of the note investing world right now? Where do you see things have turned? What are you guys are focusing on now? Are you guys doing anything different than you were four years ago, five years ago? Give us like a temperature gauge of what you see the note market being at your size. Well, I think right now, one of the key things, if I had to put in one word, it would be leverage. There's a lot of people that are leveraged. Their cost of capital has changed and Mm. they cannot figure out a way to how to get rid of some of their product. Mm. It could be a small regional bank. It could be a mom and pop guy who's got 10 loans, but he's got, you know, he borrowed money at, Prime plus whatever. And now does anybody know what Prime is today? Hi. Round Good box. question. I do have it, but yeah, go ahead. I'll I mean, look for it real quick. Yeah, I mean, it's like seven or eight. I mean, it's yep. up there, right? So all of a sudden you went from 4% yep. cost of funds to 10% cost of funds or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. And um, you have a lot of underlying lenders that are calling their loans due and, you know, or not going to extend them or the cost of funds going to go up. So they got to sell products. So we're seeing a lot of people that are, for lack of a better term, being forced to liquidate some assets that they probably wouldn't necessarily want to, you know, in a world two years ago with, you know, basically 2% interest rates. Yeah. But now we're seeing a lot of that. So um, it's it's amazing. Some of it's seller finance, some of it's some of that institutional type hedge fund paper and, and things like that. Yeah, I'm seeing 8.5 as a July. And uh, just a year ago, we were at five and a half. Yeah, so and you're go, right. And go back a year before that, and it was probably yeah. two and a half. 
Yeah, right. yeah, it just yeah. drops dramatically, and you're absolutely right. Those people who plan on refining or whatever are are stuck, right? Well, we 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 have a lot of people that not only invest in notes but invest in deals like um, apartments, multifamily, yeah. right? So every syndication that I heard a pitch on in the last three or four years was we're going to buy this deal, you know, set a four cap. And we're going to value add and then we're going to refi out in four years and pay everybody off. Well, that model for refi was not at nine, 10, 11 percent. That was refining out of four. Yeah. Right? And what are the banks going to do? They're either going to be a property owner or they're going to have to figure out a way. Somebody's got to come to the table with some money yeah. to pay that loan down or so forth. So um, fortunately, like uh, Nathan said earlier, we're not quote unquote real estate we're just related to it yeah so the paper side of it is a little bit a little bit better and, and maybe not as sensitive to that but there's a lot of funds that they use leverage too and we've never used leverage in our fund wow. uh you know it's just in my mind it was phantom returns it made it look like you were really blown and going but you know that was all you know how the numbers work when you use leverage sure. it's kind of increases it looks pretty yeah, yeah, while the rates pretty. are low and everything's good. Yep. Yeah, yeah and that's us too. We don't leverage anything. Nope. I'm just not comfortable with it. Yeah. Borrowing money so, on borrowed money. Nah. No, we, I, I agree. People yeah, you're, do it yeah. just so they can say they grew their fund. Yeah. yeah, they grew their fund to 50 million or whatever. Well, I think 20 is just fine if you can just raise the money and, and do whatever. So yeah. um, leverage, I think, is key and affordability just all across the board. Affordability. Yeah helps create seller finance notes because you may not be able to qualify at the bank. Yeah. But on the other hand, it also creates non-performing notes because yeah. people are having a hard time buying gas, buying groceries, making, you know, it, it just makes it tough all the way around. And, you know, affordable, you know, you see, oh, inflation's this, unemployment's that, and it's all a shell game. What's the real yeah. number is, you know, yeah, Bob's getting to grocery store. I know what things cost. Bob's getting to our final question before we get there. So we're going to hold that off oh, for our you. final question, right? And, and I think you hit some really cool things there. And I think people are, are focused on trying to become Wall Street, right? That was a big focus. Let me grow, grow, grow and become Wall Street. And you don't have to be. Um, we both know someone who did that and they got burned out. It is extremely overwhelming dealing with all these borrowers and all the troubles and tribulations and what most people don't realize who may be in the space for three years that everyone's paper right now is doing well they didn't live through the non-performing world of your foreclosing on most of your portfolio um and when that comes a fold you that's a lot to undertake foreclosing on multiple multiple assets and juggling all the stuff i don't know how some of the people do it it's shocking we did have a question, Gene, I think um, you touched on this before, Bob, but Gene asked the question is that he's heard of people buying non-performers over UPB. What are, are the cases to justify buying above the unpaid balance? Well, number one, like we talked earlier, have a low cost of capital. Um, but look, there's three factors when you're buying an MPL, right? You got BPO value, you got UPB, and then you got total legal balance. So if you are able to verify the total legal balance. What lot, is total legal balance? Just for those who may not know, what's give me a quick definition of total legal balance. 
that is the total amount that you're in, you're in, um, entitled to collect when that loan pays off or goes to foreclosure. So it could be accrued interest, it could be advances, foreclosure fees, anything that, whether it's the court or whoever happens to approve the foreclosure, um, the servicer usually says in order to pay off that loan, like for example, let's say this loan was modified, okay, five or six years ago, and they did a deferment, they deferred mm. principal. Well, the UPV may be a hundred grand. Mm. There could be a $60,000 deferred principal that's due at the end. Well, that's part sure. of your collectible balance. Yeah. Plus your accrued interest, plus your foreclosure fees and, and tax advances and so forth. Um, so all of a sudden you may owe a hundred grand, but you're entitled to $180,000, right? So if I bid 102 on 180, I'm over UPV, but I'm still, you know, quick math, say 75% of what the total legal balance is. Mm -hmm. And to your point about back in the day, back in the day, most properties were underwater, meaning they owed more than they were worth. Now there's a lot of equity there too. So the VPO may be up there. So we focus more on VPO and total legal balance than UPV. And that's why when you right. read that the Fannie trade that just happened was in the high 90s of UPV, it didn't disclose what the total legal balance was. So I'm willing to bet that was probably high 70s of UPV. Um, and I think the BPO was in the 50s. I think it had so much okay. equity in there if I remember looking at it. So that would be why um, you do have to verify that. There was somebody puts on the spreadsheet, hey, they owe me $188,000. Trust but verify, as yes. my friend Ronald Reagan once said. Yeah, good, good, good example there. You know, a lot of people forget about that total legal balance uh, is collectible, and most sellers will expect you to be bidding based on that number because you can collect on it. Now, the hard part, like you said, is verifying it because some people throw all kinds of stuff in there, um, and that's not collectible based on the agreement in the uh, documents. Um, so... It, there's been many times where we've looked at that kind of stuff and I've seen huge spreads in this stuff. And that comes back to the point you need to verify. We saw loans where the UPB was 50 and the legal balance is 150,000. And I said, that just doesn't make sense. It just, mm -hmm. that's ridiculous. So uh, absolutely. I'd be verifying, talk to your servicer, talk to your seller and just say, I want a list of the things that you're saying you are owed. Um, and the go through that. Kind of should process. be able to also provide that payoff information. Yeah. And yeah. And how they're doing. And, and to be honest with you, there could be some jurisdictions across the country where the judge is like, no, you can't have 10 years of accrued interest and your foreclosure judgment is for X. And, you know, yeah. um, so you just kind of, you know, take everything and run it through your buying financial modeling and, and figure sure. out what makes the most sense. Sure. I've got one that's actually paying off next week. Just to go along with this. So the unpaid balance is around 87,000. Uh, total legal balance that we're getting paid off on is around 92. So there's about $5,000, you know, that makes sense. Uh, and that's late fees, that's legal fees, uh, that kind of thing that goes into that. And so that, yeah. it, I mean, $5,000, uh, that makes a difference, you know, that's that a little makes extra juice for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then you guys also buy bankruptcy notes with that. Do you guys like bankruptcy notes or do you guys stay away from them? Um, I think Nathan summed it up earlier with his it depends answer on some questions. Yeah. Um, cash flow and BK loans, we're, we're okay with, um, chapter, I mean, yes, we buy them. We don't chase them. 
Um, if it's in a portfolio, we're going to buy, you know, we're going to bid them. We'll bid them differently, obviously, than a, an RPL or an MPL, just depending on what it is. Sure. Uh, but we don't filter and say kick out all the BK loans or whatever. Sure. But, you know, we know folks that who have models that all they want to buy is BK loans. Yeah. We're not that guy either. Yeah. Uh, but if you give me 20 loans and two of them are BK, then, okay, as long as I get all 20 loans, I'll take the two BKs. Yeah. And the BK loans will definitely juice your returns with the arrears uh, for period of time, depending on how long that period is. Um, so let's get a more temperature gauge. What are you guys are more focused on right now? Are you guys buying more performing notes or not performing? What are you guys seeing? Uh, that's a good question. For a long time, we were buying a lot of re-performing loans. Right now, I would say seller finance performing loans is, is good. We, um, we do have a good pipeline of MPLs. Okay. Um, but it's not as large as obviously we would like. Everybody thinks MPLs are sexy and I want them. And then when you start digging into them, <laughs> um, the, the factor of how much hair they have on them, um, yeah. maybe it's like, well, I'm not that excited about it. So, uh, I would say we like cash flow, um, especially for those of you who think it's sexy to have a capital fund and so forth. And when we first started our fund, I think 2013, uh, you know, we were probably 70% NPLs. Yeah. Um, and it didn't take long for us to figure out that we needed a much better blend of performing loans because you got to have cash flow. You can't pay out returns on a negative cash flow NPL deal that's going to be resolved in a good way, but down the road. Yeah. Um, so we blended it. And by the time, you know, our fund at its, at its height was probably 70% performing 30% MPLs. And uh, we typically don't play a lot in the REO space. I mean, obviously you have an outperforming loan, you foreclose, you end up with REO and we'll usually sell or finance it uh, if you just can't sell it retail. Um, but we don't chase REO per se. And yeah. um, which um, you guys were talking earlier about reverse mortgages and, and we're seeing a lot of HECMs. Yep. Um, really, you're it's a it's an REO play. If you're not good at working your way out of REO, mm -hmm. for those of you that don't know, a reverse mortgage that we're seeing on the secondary market now is where the borrower is deceased and the property is vacant and supposedly secured. Um, okay, but yes. there's not going to be any loan mod unless you might have an heir that thinks they are entitled to it and probate and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you're going to end up with the property. Okay, well. Dave, you got yeah. somebody who lived in that house, had a reverse mortgage. They died when they were 85 years old, right? If you like shag carpet and avocado colored appliances, then we got a deal for you. Uh, I mean, they're going to, you know what these houses look like, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, my dad's 90 years old. When he, when he passes away, I don't want anything to do with his house. It's yeah. just, it's got so much stuff in it from, however many years he's been in there that I can only imagine what would happen. So yeah. it's, you know, but if you're good at REO and you have boots on the ground and you know how to do it, it's a great play. It's just not our cup of tea. Yeah. It's great for those looking for fix and flips or, you know, typically want to buy at the foreclosure auction. If you were that kind of investor, listen to this reverse mortgages when we have it on is a great topic to learn about. Yep, yeah. I agree. Yeah. We'll be talking about that in the next couple of weeks and I've done yeah. a bunch and our guest has done a whole bunch. So yeah. that'll be a good, Good discussion. Yeah.
Yeah. So we've also touched upon mm-hmm. hypothecations. Do you guys get involved in hypothecations much at all? Uh, we've made some we've made some loans to folks against their note portfolios. Okay. Right. So, for example, we'll lend up to sixty five percent of the portfolio UPV. Okay. And, um, fifty five percent of the cash flow. Right. So, in other words, let's say you have a million dollar portfolio, you can borrow six hundred fifty thousand dollars, and ten thousand dollars a month cash flow. Your payment is going to be fifty five hundred dollars. You know, rough numbers like that. So that right. way, there's enough cushion to where if there's some slippage in your portfolio, you can still debt service. Um, and if you, you know, if a loan pays off, you pay your loan down, and all that's built in. So we don't do a lot of one-off hypothecation is just more on a portfolio level. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for those who do have that kind of portfolio and you don't know Bob, which I'd be shocked, feel free to reach out to them. Uh, the link is inside the chat. It's pinned to the comment. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it, it, it's weird. We ran into, and I'm curious for you guys, this perspective that we learned. We asked a lot of people at the Node Expo uh, at DME last year, this question, we're amazed how many seller finance people don't have a conference to go to. Have you guys learned the same thing? We're amazed that these people don't have a conference like we do. It doesn't seem to be seller finance conferences. Yeah. Have you ever seen one or is you know of any? Not strictly for seller finance like that. No, I mean, I would say you can learn seller financing at Node Expo, at yeah. Source, at DME, at Noteworthy, but it, it's all evolved in, in the whole note space in general. So that's why I'm trying to convince them. Like, if you are in the seller finance and wraps and subject twos, come to the note conferences. We're in the same game as you are, right? So if you, I'm amazed that you guys don't have subject two conferences or wrap conferences or owner finance or seller finance, there's social media, but there's nowhere to meet what other people do and what you're doing. I encourage you to reach out, go to Node Expo, DME and Paper Source and all the other ones. Cause we're in the same space you are. We're just, we're the husband and wife kind of situation, right? You guys are creating, we're buying. I encourage you guys to, to definitely take a look, come out, meet us in Dallas uh, in a month from now and just learn from both people who are doing what you're doing already but also the flip side of those who are looking to buy from you um, and give you cash now so you can go buy more deals. Yeah. I mean, you can find your capital source there. You also, like we said earlier, the vendors and service providers create notes. You got to do it right. Whether that's, (laughs) you know, whether that's do it in compliance Mm -hmm. or whether it's do it at the proper, you know, note rate and term. So you can exit at the number you're looking to exit at. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. how to create a note. It was funny when you guys were talking about it, the first question you always get is, what are you going to pay me? What, per, you know, what percent of UPV? Yeah. You know, well, if you, yeah. you know, it depends on what you, if you sold it to a lousy borrower at a low yeah. rate on yep. the long term, what do you think you're going to get? Yeah. Right. But if you want to know, it's like, well, how do I write it? If I want 95 cents on the dollar, it's like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's a way to learn from all these people. I do want to say there's a lot of good stuff on social media, but there's a lot of stuff that's not accurate either. So back to my um, trust, but verify, you know, make sure you're getting advice from somebody that knows what they're doing and not just some hot sports opinion in some Facebook chat. Yeah. 
It's amazing. You know, I mean, Nathan should just do an episode on the craziest stuff we've seen. We've seen people, I, I hate to comment about people, but people who are new to the space and not using servicers, um, who are not putting in, you know, using the PITI as a fixed amount on their note um, and things like that, where there's no start date with paperwork. When people are doing those kind of things, that's your first problem, right? If you need to, you need to learn how to create that paper right. Um, if you're not using a note servicer, you got to make sure you are. Um, we had a couple people using apartments.com that we were just trying to educate them that that doesn't equate into the note space like it does rental properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing it right is the first step of of doing this as a business versus a hobby. I think that's right. a great point. If you're going to do it as a business, yeah, right, you got to do it right. You can't cut corners. I'm going to save $18 a month on this. Or, yeah. you know, I don't want to do that because the... Uh, the RMLO is going to charge me $900 to create the documents correctly. Well, if you create a bad note, you're going to get a bad price. Or when you go to foreclose on it, you're going to have an issue. Yeah. And you don't Absolutely. want to be on anybody's radar of creating notes that are not enforceable or are not in compliance because, yeah. you know, Dave may look good in orange, but not a lot of us want to be in an orange. <laughs> so I'm just saying. Well said, Bob. Well said. One, a one-page note probably is not going to be sufficient when it comes to <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. Make sure your documents have thorough information, have a start date, your interest rate, your P&I should be separate from your tax insurance. That number should adjust. You should have it in there that the borrower, that the borrower be notified that the the escrow amount will adjust as the years go on, um, that you actually have an interest rate in there and that you'll be licensed servicing it. I encourage you, those who are creating these, make sure you use the borrower to pay the servicing fee. You can do that. Uh, I encourage you to, to look at that because this helps us as note buyers give you a higher rate. We don't have to subtract that from our, our monthly fee. Um, so the idea is who those are creating it. So I, I love it. Um, yeah. Nathan, I'll let, I'll let you finalize this interview with our. Uh, we don't have a big, catchy, famous yeah, final last question. I'm curious. But... We've got people that come on that have, have different experiences that we do. And certainly, not, it's not often that we have somebody with such a wealth of knowledge and experience. So, having been through everything you've seen and, and been through all the experiences you have, what's your crystal ball? What do you see happening down the road here? Where's where's the note game heading? Well, I could take the easy way out and say if I had a crystal ball, I wouldn't be on here with you guys, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, wow, that's that's great. Um, I think we're in for a good run. I mean, whether it's the MPL space or the performing loan space and the ability to pivot because – I, I don't see the market changing for the better as far as lower interest rates and, and so forth. And there's going to be levers pulled on people that are going to have to liquidate and are going to have to recapitalize to some extent. And if you're sitting, look, the key to the note business is always being able to match deal flow and capital, right? There's going to be people watching today that got all the money and can't find a deal and get people that got all the deals and they ain't got no money. Well, come to Note Expo and yeah. find somebody and make the match. But um, I still think there's going to be some MPL product. People are going to realize you can't always sell them for 90 cents on the dollar. People are, you know, a year ago, 
real estate was on fire everywhere and they're just, you know, gonna ride it to the end. Well, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. I think there's gonna be some pressure. I'm always skeptical in presidential election years because there's all kinds of voodoo math going on out there as far as what's really happening and this is great, this isn't great, and so forth. But it does present opportunities because people get nervous. Sure. Um, so um be ready to pivot and have money ready. And and look, if you're sitting on capital, it, it, either give it back to your investor, but don't pay stupid prices because you don't you don't want dry capital sitting there costing you. You know, I'd rather give money back to investors sure. than make a stupid trade outside of my financial model because it's like if I don't do a deal, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have any loans in my portfolio. I've seen people make stupid trades. Um, overpay for loans because they just felt like they needed to uh, do that. Not really it's a like, correct answer, but crystal ball, Nathan, I think yeah. we're going to see some good product 2020. Well said, Bob. I think a lot of people don't remember what 05 looked like. Everyone was like, oh, we got to get deals. You know, the real estate's never going to bubble up. And those who did a deal just to be in a deal realize how bad of a decision it is just to get into a deal. If you're 04, 05, and you went back to that self, what would you told yourself to do with that capital or anyone? to do with the capital. You were told, just put it back in the bank, hold off a little while because things are going to be on sale. And I think we're agreement that money will be well used when this market, whatever, when it happens, happens. That's and your awesome. investor is going to be, you know, they may be disappointed their money didn't get, you know, deployed. Working. But if they know you're looking out for them and you're going to hey, look, this is our model and this is what we're doing. They don't want you making a bad trade with their capital either. Right. So, you know, in our capital fund, it, it's our money to spend, but it's yeah. their money they invested. And they trust us to make good investments for them. And if there's not a good deal right now and I have to return capital, we do that. And that's just always, you know, that's just always been my philosophy. Absolutely. So uh, for those that don't know, our, and we'll put put on the uh, page and link and all stuff, uh, Wayne Garrett, which you guys know very well, will be actually our next guest in a few weeks. So stay tuned with that. But Bob, I appreciate it, man. I'll be seeing you in about a month. I'm ecstatic to be seeing you guys and uh, spending my weekend uh, with networking and uh, meeting new and old friends. It's great. Looking forward to it. Well, I know there's people on here that were on the fence whether or not to come to the Node Expo, but now that they know you're going to be there, <laughs> um, I'm going to pull up my registrations and just watch them tick up <laughs> all afternoon. Absolutely. You're going to be there. Absolutely. So I look again, forward to seeing you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, make sure you just, I'll put the link back in the chat. Make sure you get on there. If you want Bob's information, go to the link there as well. Um, we look forward to seeing everyone there. Bob, hold on for after hours and uh, take care, everyone. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks, everybody. See you guys.